Good morning, everyone. Hope you all slept incredibly well. Um, This week we're going to be doing a um, My Country Rules competition. So I'm going to be asking questions all the way through the week. And I have Smarties here. Packets of Smarties, not just like an individual one. Packets of Smarties. So whenever you answer a question, you will get a packet of Smarties. And you also have to call out your country of origin. Okay, and I'll mark it up on the board here. Um, and whichever country at the end has the most marks wins. I think it will be Australia, even though there's only about five of us here. Um, but you watch, I bet you will be Australia. Now, the question I have is do I put like Wales, Ireland, um, Scotland, and England all down as the UK? No, you don't want to be, you want your own separate countries? I thought you'd want to increase your chances of winning by going like UK. Britain and Wales. The Lions, okay. Now, what do you want? UK or Britain and... UK? Right. <laughs> UK, we're doing Wales. Right, what other countries do we have here? I know there's USA. US, I know there's a German here, at least one German, is that right? Five? Who said five? Five of you? Right, that'll do. Canada? No, that's US. <laughs> I'm joking, all right? I'm joking. Who else do we have? Scotland. Are you for real? <laughs> what are you, that's Wales? Or UK? You want Scotland? Yeah. Done. Scots? What else do we have? Aussies, how could I forget these awesome people? <laughs> Australia, what else? Nigeria. Fantastic, welcome. Nigeria, anybody else? Cornwall. Cornwall. <laughs> 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 Who said that? <laughs> no, is that it? All right, last night actually after the intro talk, um, <clears throat> one young guy came up and reminded me, he wouldn't tell me his name. He actually wouldn't give me his name and I don't blame him after what he said. He reminded me that um, you guys sent all the convicts to Australia, so I must be a convict. Um, Well, interestingly, my um, great-great-great-grandfather was actually a convict. He was sent to Australia for stealing bread. So you'll know when I find out who you are because I will steal your lunch. (laughs) Be careful. Be very, very careful. All right, um, I didn't put up some photos last night of the kids and they're wandering around, so just so you know who they all are. Um, that is the oldest one, she's Jaslyn. Um, we were at Zip World just the other day. Have you guys been there? It's in North Wales. You do 165 miles of kilometres an hour, sorry. 165 kilometres an hour strapped into this suit like a little bomb that's flying down for a mile. It's a zip that goes for 1,600 metres. It is awesome. 165 kilometres an hour, that's her. Um, Jaslyn's her name. This is the second one, Tiana or TT. Um, that's her after throwing herself off a 110-foot platform. Um, she was all thumbs up. She thought it was pretty good. And the youngest, she's six. The youngest one, who's four, she likes to tell me she's nearly five. Um, her name's Ashton, and she also threw herself off this 110-foot platform, which, um, yeah, I did as well after they wanted to. Um, I probably wouldn't have, but... Um, they inspired me to do so. Right, so let's get going. Um, what we're going to do today is just get to know um, a man who wrote, 
well, probably half the New Testament, right? We're going to acquaint ourselves a little bit more with this man. But for, before we meet Paul, we need to appreciate Saul. And to do that, let's start in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 gives us a pretty good introduction to Saul of Tarsus. Actually, sorry, before I go, has everybody written that question down that I asked last night? Written it down? Remember the question was, where will you be and what will you be doing in 10 years from now if you keep, do- keep doing what you're doing now? If you haven't written it down, please do write it down. Where will you be and what will you be doing 10 years from now if you keep doing what you're doing now? Write it down and give it to somebody. Um, wow, that's a bit loud. Um, give it to somebody and um, yeah, think about it during the week and hopefully at the end of the week you'll have an answer to that question. Okay, so Philippians chapter 3. This ex-Pharisee, right, because Saul was an ex-Pharisee, he really doesn't hold back in Philippians chapter 3. He completely lets loose on himself, lets loose on himself and gives us a very good introduction as to what he was like. His home, trophies and awards covered every single wall of his home. In verse 4 to 6 of Philippians chapter 3, he says, I've got awards, I've got accomplishments that absolutely no one else does. No one else had a list like Saul of Tarsus. In today's language, right, he had the Nobel Peace Prize, he had the Pulitzer, he had the Man Booker, he had the Golden Boot, the Order of the Garter, the Order of the Merit, the Oscar, the Grammy, the Emmy, the Golden Globe. He had the lot, he was the rising star, he was Lord Saul of Tarsus. Forget Lord Sugar. This guy, he was Lord Saul of Tarsus. In fact, when you look at verse 6, look at what it says, touching, at the end of verse 6, touching the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. Blameless. Now, because we're not in the first century, and because we're not Jewish, I didn't see anyone write up, or anyone say they're from Israel, because we're not, we don't live in the first century, and because we're not Jewish, we don't understand and don't appreciate what that means. But if you lived in the first century, you'd take your hat off to a man like that. You'd take your hat off to him. He was the role model. He was walking perfection. When you read the Jerusalem Times, you read Saul of Tarsus. When you listened to the rabbis of the day, his name was the name they dropped. He'd been promoted till his head hit the ceiling. Who's a household name over here? Not George Alexander Lewis. Who's, who give me a household name? Andy Murray. Andy Murray. He's useless tennis player. Andy Murray. Okay, everybody knows Andy Murray. Well, that was Saul of Tarsus. His was a household name. Everybody knew him. He was a paragon of human perfection with earthly awards covering every wall of his house. And one day he left Jerusalem bound for Damascus with a court summons for every Christian he could find. For Paul... That day was just like any other. Normal garden variety day shift on the Jewish Inquisition. No angel heralded the day. No one whispered in his ear at breakfast as he was munching on his cornflakes saying, pay attention today, Paul, because today's going to be your day. There were no neon signs saying, watch out, watch out, today is the day. No, that day was just like any other day. And you know, that's the way God works. That is the way God works in your life as well. Without even a hint of warning, you may be catching the bus. 
You may be doing the ironing. You may be writing an assignment. You may be changing nappies if you're lucky enough to do that. You may be plugging numbers into a calculator. You may be seeing patients. You may be sitting at your desk. You may be having tea. Whatever you're doing, that's your day, that's your life, and it may be on that day, that normal, standard, garden variety day, that God sends his son. You know, you'd never have guessed it when you woke up in the morning. You couldn't have predicted it. And that's God's method. He doesn't need neon signs blinking saying, get ready, get ready, I'm coming, I'm about to send my son. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need any of those warnings whatsoever. And the Apostle Paul, or Saul as he was then, was about to find that out. And Saul took that trip to Damascus and discovered that all those awards, all those papers he'd written, were worth absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. All the things that he placed value on, he says, I took them out and put them in that bin by the side of the road and rolled it out to the edge of the road to go in that dump truck because Christ came along and said, all your papers, all those awards that cover the walls of your house are worthless. You've failed. You have completely failed. And that's what Paul's saying in Philippians chapter 3. I failed. I'd failed. Now, My kids like playing Let's Pretend, and you guys are just a bit older than they are. So are you okay if we just play Let's Pretend for a moment? I want you to pretend, I want you to imagine for a moment that you live on the outskirts of Vienna. It's 1940. The Nazis occupy the city that you once called home. In fact, the entire country is under Nazi occupation. Your relatives have vanished... They were actually arrested secretly in the middle of the night. And as a result, you've made the painful decision to take your family and flee to a remote cottage far away in the mountains. And the night before your planned departure, you're awakened in the middle of the night. Rubbing your eyes, you sit up apprehensively and and look around and fear is gripping you. And out of the darkness, there comes this unrecognisable voice and it says, Arise! Go to a street named Wickenburg, just to the west of the University of Vienna. There you will find a house owned by Franz Kaiser. When you enter, you'll find a man from Brauner in Upper Austria. I've appeared to him. He's now praying. He's blind. I've revealed myself to him. Go and restore his eyesight, for he will save your people. His name is Adolf Hitler. You know, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, young people, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus was as likely as Hitler saving the Jews. Saul? You're joking, right? You're joking. Saul, you sure you've got that name right? Christ told Ananias that Saul was blind and praying somewhere. If I was Ananias, I would have said, keep him blind. He's trying to kill us. Ananias double-checked that Christ had got the right name. And what was the response? Go, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. And we know what happened. That raging bull became a bleating lamb. Now, I think I can say with confidence, throughout our lives, we've naturally adopted a mental image of Paul as being a God-fearing Christian. When we think of Paul, we... We think of a great man. We think of a spiritual superhero. We think of his incessant drive. We think of his undying love 
for his brothers and sisters. His exceptional ability to compose letters. Hey, he gave us the two letters to the Corinthians. He gave us Romans, which is like the Magna Carta of a disciple's life. He gave us all those prison epistles. He wrote that liberating letter to the Galatians, so full of rich wisdom and relevance. And we read all these stories. We read what he went through. We look at Paul and we think, wow, wow, what a guy. What an amazing guy. Incredible passion, energy. His devotion to God was just amazing. And we're blown away with his attitude in unbelievably difficult circumstances. And we're just like, that is nothing but raw passion. We look at all that and we say, he's way out of my league. He is way out of my league. I feel inferior. I feel inadequate. I could never be like that. All my weaknesses, my sin, my sins, they're so great. I'm so bad. Just look at Paul. I've done nothing like what he has. And look what I've done. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? Well, maybe you felt that Paul was so remarkable that godliness like his is out of reach, simply unattainable. Maybe you felt like that. You know, the reality is, well, in God's own words, he's just like you. It's no different. No different at all. Same in nature, in thinking, and in feelings. Remarkable, but it's absolutely true. You know, the reason I was pleased to meet Paul was because Paul goes on record saying that it doesn't matter what your past is. Your past may be soiled. Your past may be very dark. Very, very dark. But you can find, with God, a new beginning. U-turns are permitted. You can start again. You know, the first pen portrait of Saul of Tarsus or of the Apostle Paul is pretty brutal and bloody. If an artist were to put, um, put oil and um, brush to canvas, there's uh, not one of you who would want that hanging in your lounge room. He looks more like a terrorist than a devout Christian. The blood of Stephen splattered all over his shoes as he stood there congratulating the killers. That's the first pen portrait of Saul of Tarsus. And with that fresh blood on his hands, Paul hits the highway to Damascus, desperate, absolutely determined to wipe out all trace of this dreaded Jesus group. And then all of a sudden there's this bolt out of the blue. There's a bolt out of the blue that hits him and he finds himself in dialogue with a man that he believes is dead and buried. And they're not just in dialogue with this man, but in a relationship with him. He's got a close and a deep and an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And then um, not just a relationship with this man, but championing the cause of that very man. Enter Paul the Apostle. And we all look at him and we're completely blown away with his passion. We just feel so inadequate in his presence. He's so good. But if the man was alive today, he'd set the record straight in a moment. Because, you know, the remarkable thing about Paul, the remarkable thing about Paul is that the longer he lived and the older he got, the more he realised how reliant he was on the Father's mercy and the more he realised how great a sinner he actually was.
And in one of his last ever letters, he goes on record saying that it's only by the grace of God that he'll be saved. And it's the same for you. It's the same for me. It's only by the grace of God, Paul says, that he will be saved. And you and I are exactly the same. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go on a little journey through three of the letters that Paul wrote. Three letters and we're going to see the progression in Paul's thought. And the first one is in 1 Corinthians 15. So just rewind if you can to 1 Corinthians 15. Now here's a question for you. This will get smarties and a score. Um, Who can tell me when Corinthians was written? 1 Corinthians. Come on Aussies. Actually, let's just clear this up. Is Lynette Wiltshire UK or Australian? Australia. <laughs> okay, she's Australian. All right, First Corinthians, does anyone know when it was written? No, that's, a, that's minus one for the... Where are you from, UK, Wales or Scotland? Australia. Australia. <laughs> How did I know that was coming? 1860, no. Okay, no one knows, no one gets any smarties. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, which was one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote, it was one of the first that he wrote, was actually written in AD 56. And I want you to have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read, the, we'll read um, verse, verse 7 on. What Paul's talking about here is the people that Jesus appeared to when he rose from the dead, right? He says he appeared to all the apostles, or he, sorry, verse 12, or verse 5, sorry, He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve apostles. Then he appeared, verse 6 to 500. After that, he was seen of James, verse 7. Then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles. I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the ecclesia of God. So how many apostles were there? Here's another question. How many apostles were there that we know of? No. Anyone know? One more. Who said that? Right, where are you from? Australia, I thought. You said you wanted to come to Australia. (laughs) Where are you from? Wales. Wales. Okay, one. And you can have a packet of Smarties, James. How do you feel? Right. Um, There were 14. 14 apostles, right? And how does the Apostle Paul describe himself? Have a look at what he says in verse 9. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. So if we were to like line them up, right, if we were to like one, two, three, four, five, six, he's like, I'm number 14 of 14 apostles, okay? I'm the last, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle, okay? I really shouldn't be called an apostle because of the damage that I brought upon the ecclesia years ago when I was persecuting it. I'm the least of all the apostles. Now, come fast forward to Ephesians chapter 3. Can anyone tell me when Ephesians was written? You guys are all one year behind. AD 61. And it was written five years after 1 Corinthians. And have a look at how Paul described himself in Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll read verse uh, 7 on. Now he is just talking about the gospel and the fact that he was given the job to preach the gospel mainly to the Gentiles. Right? Look at what he says in verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of... 
um, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. So what did he say in 1 Corinthians 15? He's the least of all the apostles, right? He's the least of all the apostles. Now here in Ephesians chapter 3, and it's a completely random thought. It doesn't follow the train of thought at all. He's talking about how he's been appointed as a minister to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's almost like there's this little bit in brackets that says, it was given to me, and by the way, I need you to know, I'm less than the least of all the, apostles, of all the saints. I'm less than the least of all the saints. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm, less than the, I'm, I'm the least of all the apostles. Ephesians chapter 3, five years later, I am the last, I am the least of all the saints. Now, how many saints are there? There's a question. I'm waiting for someone to say 144,000. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> we don't know. The best answer to that is we don't know. But however many there are, if there's four million saints, right? Paul says, I am number four million. I am less than the least of all the saints. I am the least of them. So he's been the least of the apostles. Now he says five years later, I am actually the least of all the saints. It's completely out of left field. He did not need to say that. And the the word least actually means far less. Far less than the person next to me. I am four million of four million saints. Now fast forward to 1 Timothy. Again, written five years later. 1 Timothy chapter 1, written in AD 66. And again, Paul happens to be talking about his role and responsibilities as an apostle and as somebody who was preaching the gospel. Let's read from verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is what I was before. I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was causing injury. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And then, completely out of left field, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Right? Standalone statement. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Full stop? No, no, no. He just throws this little line in there. It doesn't need to say it. But just throws this little bit in there and he says, of whom I am chief. So 1 Corinthians 15 in AD 51, no, AD 56, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. Five years later, he's the least of all the saints. And then five years later, at the end of his life, one of the last letters that he wrote, he says, I am the greatest sinner that has ever lived. How many sinners are there? Billions, right? And he says, I'm the greatest of all the sinners that ever has been and ever will be. He didn't need to say that. He just completely dropped that in there of his own free will. But so convinced was he that he was unworthy, and he says, of whom I am chief. And do you know that's no exaggeration? That is no false humility 
false humility at all. It is genuinely, genuinely what he felt. But not only he, so did God. His father felt exactly the same way about him. Paul didn't say, I was chief. He says, I am chief. Sorry. I am chief of sinners. It's not what I was, it's what I am now. And I'm the number one sinner, not just in my own eyes, but in the eyes of my father as well. How do we know that? Well, have a look at verse 16. Paul has just explained how he's a heinous criminal and that he just obtained mercy and thoughts progress to the purpose for which Christ Jesus came into the world. And he says, this is why Christ came into the world, to save sinners. And then he says in verse 16, he wants us to tell us how it affected him. And he says, this is the reason why I obtained mercy. Because in me first, Jesus Christ wanted to show other people, he wanted a pattern to show other people, that if he could forgive me, then he can forgive anyone. I am the greatest sinner that ever has been and ever will be. And God chose me, Jesus chose me, because they wanted to establish me as an example, as proof that if I could be forgiven for what I've done with my incredibly dark past, then so can you. And it doesn't matter how dark your past is, you too can be forgiven. Where he says in verse 16, it was a pattern. He's like, I'm an example. They chose me as an example. I'm like highlighted. My name is highlighted. Look at Paul. If you need an example of the fact that you can be forgiven and it doesn't matter how dark your past is, well, God says, I've chosen Paul and I've given him to you as the perfect example. He gives all the evidence, all the proof that is ever needed to prove that anyone... It doesn't matter how bad the past is. It doesn't matter how great their sins are. They can be forgiven. I obtain mercy, one translation says exactly this. I obtain mercy for the purpose of giving Christ awesome proof and illustration of his incredible patience and illustration of it for all who believe in him. He was given mercy to give Christ awesome proof and an illustration of forgiveness. God showed Paul mercy so that no one after him could question their salvation. No one. And that includes you. That includes you. He could have mercy on the greatest imaginable offender. Paul furnished all the proof that is ever needed to show that forgiveness is possible. He's proof that there is not a situation that could occur that is beyond the mercy of God. No case. God chose Paul because Paul was to be a permanent proof for people, for pre-people, for young people, for old people, for people of all ages, that sins of the most heinous type can be forgiven. Do you feel that... (laughs) Your sins are too great to be forgiven? Do you feel that? Do you think it's unlikely that you'll be saved because of all your sins? Or maybe because of that sin? 
you know, that thing that you're really struggling with? Have you ever thought to yourself, why even bother getting baptised? I've got absolutely no chance with my dark past. Have you ever thought like that? Do you think I've failed so many times in the same sin, I may as well just throw it all in, walk away from God and just have an absolutely great life now because I've got no chance in the future? Ever thought or felt like that? Maybe some of you sitting here have been thinking like that just this week. Maybe that thought struck you last night as you were lying on your bed. Maybe it struck you as you woke up this morning. Well, you know, you're not alone. Because I have. I definitely have. And then I met Paul. And then I met Paul. And I can't tell you how pleased I was to meet him because that one meeting completely changed my life. It turned my thinking around. Yes, I'm a sinner. No question. Just like the moon. I have a dark side, but I know. I'm confident because meeting Paul has convinced me that I'm not beyond the grace of God. I'm not. I have been forgiven. I am forgiven. God chose Paul to convince us of that. To convince us that if he could forgive Paul, then he can forgive you. He can forgive you. He will forgive you. He has forgiven you. He wants to forgive you. He really does. You're not outside his forgiveness, young people. None of you are. You're not outside his forgiveness. Don't throw it all in. Don't ever give up and think that you're beyond forgiveness and it's not possible for you to be saved. You know, that big question, that really, 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 really big question is settled forever. Are my sins too great to be forgiven? Have I been forgiven for that? And that thing that looms large in your mind when you think about it. Maybe it keeps you awake at night, worrying about whether you've been forgiven for that sin. And the question that surfaces again and again and again is now answered. Yes, you can be forgiven. And you can be completely convinced that your sins, however great they are, however many they are, have been forgiven. Paul tells us that. It's the reason why God and why Christ chose Paul. You see, Paul has a very, very particular place in God's heart. He has a very particular place in God's purpose. He fitted God's plan and that's the reason why God chose him. God, God didn't choose Paul because Paul was incredibly godly or because of his incredible righteousness. Is that like great news or what? God didn't choose Paul because he was so sensationally godly that God was left with no choice but to choose Paul. No, that's not why God chose Paul at all. That is not at all. It's got nothing to do with it. God chose Paul because Paul fitted his purpose, because God knew that he could work with him. It wasn't about Paul. It wasn't because Paul was so sensationally godly. No. It was all about what God had in his heart. It was all about God's plan. This is all about God's gracious, sovereign purpose rather than some quality in Paul. You know, that's remarkable, really, because you may look at Paul and say he's a spiritual superhero. I could never, ever match that, that kind of godliness. 
But, 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 but. Paul learnt it. Paul learnt godliness. God anointed him an apostle and then led him into the desert for a few years, right? Led him into the university of the desert for a few years to obtain a double major in silence and solitude. And then after that, he was an apprentice in obscurity for another 11 years. Paul wasn't so sensationally godly at the beginning. No, no, no. God worked with him to develop godliness. God didn't choose Paul because of his godliness. No, no, no. God worked with Paul to develop godliness. You know, I'm not sure about you, but that fills me with joy and confidence. Big time. Big time. Knowing that this man, the greatest sinner who ever has been and who ever will be, will be in the kingdom. And God chose him to give me and to give you an example that if he can be forgiven, so can you. And so I can live my life knowing that the Father will bring me to his kingdom. No ifs, no I hope to be there. No maybes. Yes, I'd like to, but I doubt it. No, this is going to be really hard. No, I have been forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. That is what the Apostle Paul gives us in those three letters. 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians 3 and 1 Timothy. You know, I was incredibly thankful and so pleased I met Paul. And I really hope that you feel the same. Now, um, this week's studies I've entitled Postcards from Paul. So at the end of every study, you'll be getting a postcard. Um, I don't, they're here. Um, I don't know, you can hand them out or come and get them, whatever you like. But I'll read to you um, the first postcard that we have. Dear all, I just have to share this with you. It's just awesome, life-changing. I've been thinking recently about how dark my past was, somewhat checkered to say the least. Then it hit me like a lightning bolt. I am the chief of all sinners, like the greatest sinner of all time. But the Father took hold of me and turned me round so he could use me as an example, a model to anyone and everyone, that if he can turn me around and save me, then he can save anyone. Absolutely no one is beyond salvation. Isn't that awesome? To tell you the truth, you should be happier than me. Why? Because it doesn't matter how dark or soiled your past is, you are not beyond salvation. Please, don't throw it all in. Don't turn your back on the Father. Don't ever give up. He's going to save me, and he can definitely save you. Love you all, Paul. P.S. Thank God for his amazing grace. The older I get, the more I realise how desperately reliant I am on his grace.